We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's True Faith Podcast. I'm Charlotte Robson. Today we are talking about the Premier League killing the takeover, the proposed takeover of Newcastle United by uh, the consortium of the Saudi um, Sovereign Wealth Fund, PIF, um, PCP Capital Partners and the Rubin Brothers. Um, Of course, this news came out on Thursday. It's the news nobody really wanted that we're going to have Mike Ashley at the helm for at least another little while. Um, The... uh, a statement was released um, by the group, uh, the consortium, um, led by PIF, um, basically said that the um, they've got deep appreciation for the community in Newcastle and the significance of the football club, but they're withdrawing their interest. The Premier League is taking too long and there is uncertainty, a, a global uncertainty. Um it's no longer a commercially viable option. Obviously, this was a shock. I think even the biggest skeptics of a takeover were um, were sort of expecting this to go through. It's Newcastle United, so nothing's ever quite simple. But um, I'm joined today to talk about it by Chris Shipman, Mick Martin and Alex Hurst. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Premier League, um, Premier League sort of... Um, scuppering this deal uh how we're feeling about that and then and then what our next uh sort of steps are if you will so mick martin i will come to you first how did the statement make you feel how are you feeling now uh, probably much the same as i did when i heard it for the first time charlotte so um i think it's been going on for so long now that um that when the statement came out on Thursday night, it was it wasn't completely unexpected, was it? Um, you know, for for something that was going to take a month to six weeks, and that the 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 buy-in side had been assured was going to happen, it just looks like it's been overtaken by other by another agenda or other agendas, and um, um, so that that's what's that's what's happened ultimately. How do how do I feel? Um, I feel absolutely de- desperately disappointed in um, the football club and the community around it being denied what I think would have been a great opportunity um, to kick on and to um, and to do so much good for the football club and for the wider um, Newcastle, Tyneside, North East area. So I, I just think we've been shafted. Um, I think the club, the supporters, 
even Mike Ashley to a, to a degree, not the most sympathetic of figures, um, but um, have been uh, betrayed by the by the Premier League and how they have behaved during this period. You know, we'll get we'll get into it, but Alex and I are privy to stuff um, that's gone on involving the involving the Premier League, and um, uh, and I, f- I got a I got a whiff of this round about May. Some people might remember I wrote a blog called Smelling a Rat. Um, which um, kind of introduced the fears that I had, and um, sadly they never ever went away. And uh, Thursday night was the culmination of those fears coming to reality. So, generally, extremely pissed off, and uh, even more so worried about the future of the club. Yeah, I mean, I think that sentiment will be shared across the fan base and across the region, and then you know. Um, I think that's what we we'll want to get into a little bit more in this podcast about the process and how that has sort of hindered um, hindered this this sale, um, this takeover. Um, Chris, how did you feel on Thursday when you saw the news and um, and 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 then and then sort of the further news that that it, it seems to um, lie within the Premier. The fault seems to lie within the Premier League that this hasn't actually gone ahead. Uh, I think disappointed, gutted, um, ultimately kind of not surprised. Uh, and I think that's indicative of the length of time that this was dragging on for um, that Mick referenced. Um, I think the other kind of emotion and feeling that I have towards this whole situation is is the same as kind of in a way as I've had through the whole process, which is one of conflict. So, you know, we were, I think we were all desperate for this takeover primarily, uh, initially, at least to get rid of Mike Ashley because he is killing this club. Um, but, you know, I, I did have some concerns about the Saudis, of course, in terms of resource, an amazing opportunity. But in terms of the, the ethics of it, I had concerns there. So, you know, I'm not definitely not saying here that I'm, I'm happy about this falling apart. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of conflict there. Uh, and as to the Premier League, you know, they, they've totally... Um, They've been incredibly unprofessional, as to put it mildly. Um, but you know, just just not engaging with the fan base, with the media, um, with anyone about this, and just leaving this so that it by default falls apart. Um, you know, they they entirely knew what they were doing, just kind of stringing this out. Um, and not surprised, I think it's indicative of, of where football is, uh, and you know, ultimately, in, in my opinion, where football and governing bodies are. Um, you know, FIFA, Premier League. Um, it's it's about business, and uh, yeah, just very disappointed. Yeah, I mean, and that's something we'll get into a little bit um, later as well about this sort of stalemate um, th- thing. It was a you know, there's been a couple of um, articles about it, and and George Culkin at the Athletic did um, an interview with Amanda Stavely the same day, um, in which it sort of said you know it was said they that the premier league said this would we're not saying yes but we're not saying no it's this sort of we're at an impasse here alex um did you have anything you wanted to add on 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 the the whole process so far that we know it and uh, and uh, and and what's been said I suppose the, the, the frustrating thing here is that something's gone tits up at Newcastle United and we can't blame Mike Ashley. Um, <laughs> it's a no, first. in fact, in fact, we're, we're, if, if, if reports are to be believed, Mike Ashley spent 
into the late hours of Thursday or Wednesday or something trying to rescue the deal. Well, you would, wouldn't you, for for a third of a billion quid for you, <laughs> for the club you've yeah. managed to maim beyond recognition. Yeah, it's but, not benevolence, is it? <laughs> yeah, it was what not not for the good of Newcastle United. I think we were doing that. <laughs> but um, yeah, the 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 real the real sad thing about all this is that um, preconceptions are a big thing, particularly as a football fan, because because it's all we've got to go on, isn't it? And for so long. We've needed a, you know, has Mike Ashley been a willing seller? That's been the question. That one is definitively answered once and for all. He is a willing seller. Do we have a buyer, and not just a buyer to buy the club and run it as it's been run, or worse, as as happens in a lot of football transactions, a lot of football sales in England. Actually, things get worse when clubs are sold. That clearly wasn't going to be the case here. There was clearly going to be a plan and a vision to return Newcastle United to where it should be as one of Europe's top football clubs. And on top of that, as Mick says, there was also a plan and a vision to invest in much-needed infrastructure um, and more than that in, in the local northeast community. And I, d- I don't think I'm out of order here when I say this isn't just a devastating blow to Newcastle United fans. It's a devastating blow to the whole of, whole of the northeast of England, not just the city of Newcastle. I'm talking from the Tweed to the Tees. Um, Newcastle United being a major European power would, would massively benefit massively benefit the, um, this part of the world. Look at Manchester. You look at Manchester's growth over the past 10 years since Manchester City came in. Yes, they haven't been responsible for all of that, but the, the, the sheer um, pace in which that city has grown um, and attracted other businesses to that city and jobs to that city, Manchester City and Manchester United are, are integral parts of that and and we don't have that with Newcastle United at the minute and the other basket place football clubs in the region. So it's so frustrating. Forget about football in the Premier League, man. it's just frustrating that this this was possible. This wasn't some sort of improbable dream. It wasn't a dream, it was a reality. And it's being obstructed um, by the Premier League. And the reasons for which, which one we could probably get into, and we all have to speculate on at the minute, the reasons for which just seem so far removed from the day-to-day reality of my life as a football fan and someone who lives in this region um, that uh, you know, basically a satellite broadcaster in the Middle East isn't happy with it, so we can't have it. It just seems grossly unfair on everybody, on everyone to do with this and it's, it's hard to take and it's hard to stomach. Yeah, that's the thing that really I, I found harder than I thought I, w- I suppose I had not really let myself consider that this wouldn't happen more fully. I said it on Twitter. I'm the idiot here. But I was, you know, this is a region that I am from and I love and I really want to see thrive. And <clears throat> and it is in, it is in need of, of investment. And I, was, I have been particularly upset, especially as, as more comes out from the consortium. They seem to, you know, be a bit more vocal on Twitter now, a, a few of them, Jamie Rubin and, and then, um, and, you know, others, uh, I think uh, Amanda Stabley's husband was um, tweeting, this, this real plan and real vision, like you say, Alex, for the, um, for the region and for investment in it, I just think we deserve it <laughs> and we need it. And it, to have that sort of ripped away, um, you know, if we're, if we're bought by another 
consortium or another wealthy individual, the likelihood is that that is what they're doing. They're just going to buy the club. It's it's you know it's very unusual that a, that a group will come together with a vision for the whole region and and with plans to invest. So I've found that quite difficult to stomach. Um, do we want to go into the reasons that we, as we see it? Um, Mick, do you want to talk about how you see, and again, as Alex says, it is partly speculation here, but uh, the reasons as you see it that um, that this deal will, did not go through? Well, some of it's speculation and some of it's, um, you know, um, a bit more than that, isn't it? So, you know, we, we know that um, Qatar and Saudi Arabia are at each other's throats. Um, we know Qatar have got the um, the uh, the TV rights to sporting events across much much of the Middle East and North Africa, and uh, and we know that there is a um, an ongoing quite bitter, uh, to say the least, um, soft war between them at the at the moment, and the Qataris did not want the Saudi Arabians to own a football club. It just happens to be that it was Newcastle United. If it had been um, perhaps another club, they would have done everything in their powers to stop that as well. So um, whether whether or not, um, if, if it had been Arsenal or Chelsea, etc., we can speculate on, on that. My opinion is I think it would have been done if it, was, if it wasn't a club in the forgotten northeast. Um, I, I, I'm bitter enough to think, think that mm-hmm. way. So I, I do think that the Qataris have um, a hold on the um, on the Premier League, um, to a to a degree that um, they are by and large running the show in some in some regards. If they can mix, if they can if they can determine who owns uh, one of the clubs in the Premier League, that in my opinion is an unhealthy situation to say the least. Some people might describe it as corrupt, and I'd probably be approaching that uh, in that direction as well. Um, the other side of it is is the integrity of the Premier League and who it's run for and how it how it how it goes etc. So we know, being who is Qatar, wrote to all of the um, clubs in the Premier League to ask to ask them to lobby against the um, takeover. On what basis they could lobby, no one really knows because all they had to do was to complete the owners and directors test which does not invite the other constituent parts of the Premier League to vote on vote on the matter. However, uh, we do know, uh, and we, ha- we have heard certain clubs mentioned, um, amongst amongst which are Tottenham and Liverpool, who have um, who ha- have lobbied against um, the, Saudi- the Saudis being part of the consortium to take over Newcastle United. Why would they do that? Well, they would do that because... Um, a competitive Newcastle United makes it more difficult for them to hoover up on us, and it's not just Liverpool and Spurs; it would be other clubs as well. I've no, I've no doubt. So, um, it's a, it's a move to uh, prevent the Premier League from becoming more competitive by removing um, the capacity of one of the clubs to compete against them. So you have to wonder uh, uh, what's the integrity of the Premier League as a sporting. Um, competition now in my in my opinion there are serious doubts about the whole um not what the word is the, the the whole kind of integrity of the of the premier league as a sport and competition and who it's run for 
it looks increasingly like it's run for the convenience of five or six clubs at the top of the Premier League and nobody else. So you don't, you should not compete against us. Uh, know your place, etc., etc. So um, just in my in my opinion, I think this is. I think the Qataris have played an absolute blinder because they've got uh, Richard Masters, Bill Bush, and whoever else uh, in the, in the Premier League to do their bidding, and they've done their bidding by doing nothing. So they haven't. Let's remember they haven't refused the bid. They haven't said anyone has failed the owners and directors test. They just didn't see anything. And for the whole thing to go on for 17 weeks and for a whole range of other actors to kind of parade their um, their views on the subject completely unnecessarily was just a, choreo- a bit of choreography, in my opinion, to try and make the Saudi part of the bid look um, uh, terrible. So, that you know, what they've, what they've done is it's been a, a choreography choreographed um i can't even speak properly on that part um, <laughs> good it, that you're on a podcast i so uh it's um it's for me it's just been a, a a staged episode it's been a cynical plan to let the whole thing run down i'm not 100 percent certain about the exclusivity dates etc but it would appear that they've um they've let those run down and to the to the point where somebody's lost a lot of money in seventeen million pound, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Which was the deposit, you know, more more seriously. Um, so it's been a cynical exercise. There's no reason why the Premier League couldn't have made a decision. And you know, if they'd made the decision to say we don't think you passed the owners and directors test, fair enough, that would be their decision. But to do nothing, and then to say nothing afterwards when that bid mm-hmm. collapses, the silence on the subject is absolutely disgusting, disgraceful ensures once again the contempt that there is from those people who are running football towards football fans and it, it's us this time but it'll be somebody else the next time yeah chris did you want to jump in your hands waving at me <laughs> uh yeah to to build on what um mix just said there i think i could understand if they'd been decisive as opposed to cowardly and rejected this due to human rights um you know in part i think of course we would be disappointed with the loss of opportunity that that would that would bring but i could kind of understand it but if this is due as it seems to be due to loss of broadcasting revenue and upsetting broadcasters that clearly shows what's important um i think the other thing that i just mentioned is you know there is to a degree uh, a precedent in the premier league as it stands for ownership from uh you know saudi um, you know, members of the royal family, um, albeit maybe not as kind of central as as we have in, in Sheffield United, and it just seems that you know that's that's uh, something that is not or will not be addressed, and yet they're very willing to slam the door on um, you know a, on a club that could be competing at the top end. Um, it's uh, I think that's pretty pretty damning as well. Yeah, Alex, I think your paw is waving as well. I really want to just try and um, ram home here what this process has been like and my role in it has been like I can't even find the word that would tell you how small it's been but like in in terms of our role at the Supporters Trust particularly in April I mean I needed to employ some sort of PA or media manager because the, the number of requests coming in from around the world to speak to us were just ridiculous. I mean, like from from like Australia, from America, from Canada, from South America, from Europe, from Asia, from from everywhere. You know, let alone the UK. And I really want to ram home just just so that if there's anyone listening to this who thinks that 
this is for Newcastle fans whinging on a Sunday night, whipping up conspiracy theories about an uh, upstanding, successful body like the Premier League who, who wouldn't possibly engage in such things. Just to give you all an idea, I was contacted by a journalist from Al Jazeera. Um, I think it's Al Jazeera. Qatar State Media, anyway. I was contacted the night before the World Trade Organization report was released, and I was contacted, and it was put to me, here is the World Trade Organization report. This is undeniable proof that Saudi Arabia are guilty of these crimes in piracy, and the Newcastle United takeover should not go ahead as a result. Can you give us a comment from the Supporters Trust? And I said, well, can I read the report? Not that I was going to read the whole thing, but I you know, said, can, can we as a board, can we read the report? And he said, it's embargoed until tomorrow. And I said, well, I'm not going to give you a quote. I'm not going to give you a quote until until I can actually see what you're talking about. Now, that, that may seem to everybody fine. The next morning before the report was released, word for word, word for word, this guy's, this journalist's message to me, and he's a pretty prominent journalist, and, you know, not maybe in this country, but seemed pretty big news in Qatar and, and, and their international stations. Word for word, several sports journalists in the UK tweeted what he had sent me, word for word. And I'm talking about the BBC here. I'm talking about the Times. I'm talking about the Independent. And that, like that, that's, that's not a reasonable process. That, for, for those journalists to tweet out basic, I mean, by the way, all of the things that this guy said w- weren't in the report. That's why I wouldn't send it to me, because it was just an interpretation. It didn't, the, the report did not say the things that Qatar said it did. And, and while that might not seem particularly relevant to, to what happened on Thursday, it, the, the, the whole process over the past four months has just been exhausting. It's mm-hmm. been exhausting. It's been, we, we can't do this every summer. We just can't. It's, it's, it's getting beyond a joke. And for, 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 for serious journalists in this country, like Sean Engel of The Guardian, to say he has Premier League sources who, who say they don't think this should go through, I believe him. I, I believe him. I believe the guy Al Jazeera when he says he speaks to the Premier League and, and, and they agree with him and, and I should give him a quote because because this takeover shouldn't go through. And and for someone like me who who but I don't get paid for any of this, to just be like, Well, how I mean, like you're gonna have to actually send me what it says. And for all, for the rest of the sports media who have been against this takeover, to to not have that level of scrutiny, to not think, Well, oh, best hang on here. And to be fair, I think the BBC journalist actually deleted his tweet. But it was out there for long enough, and it, it 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 all it was all part of this information campaign that this takeover should not happen. And, and as Mick correctly said, maybe it shouldn't happen. Who am I to say? I, I, I don't write the fit and proper owners test. I don't know what qualifies someone to win a Premier League footballer. I've got some ideas, but but the fact is that the, the, the people who who are behind this couldn't even come to a decision after seventeen weeks. How long does it take? And if you listen to this to make a decision over something, whether professionally or personally, four months. It's 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 a nonsense to to, to, to to suggest that that the Premier League. Well, I mean, how how long would they need? Eight months, twelve months to make a decision about whether these people should own our football club? And there has been a concerted information campaign from an international broadcaster, which seems to be who this test was was about. It wasn't about Newcastle United. It wasn't about me or you or anyone listening. It was about. Um, being able to sell TV rights in the Middle East. And I understand that's important to the Premier League, but that's, that should be completely separate to who owns the football club in the United Kingdom. And and the whole thing has been 
has been a tale of, of, of Mick used the word corruption before. If the Premier League want to come out and say, listen, we had, well, you know, one of our major broadcasters had serious reservations about this and we had to pander to them and make sure they were happy. I don't think we'll be doing this podcast now, or certainly not in the manner that we're doing it. But that would be ridiculous and that would open up a series of other questions because questions would have to be asked about how Qatar procure those rights. Looking at the World Cup in 2002, there are people in jail right now for that World Cup going to that country. Um, so are we are we to expect and believe that the Premier League bidding rights for all of this that that you know totally different to that couldn't be couldn't be more different? I think I think personally that's an absurd suggestion. But um, I've, I've rambled on for a bit. Then I know Mick's got his hand up. <laughs> it's all right. We like hearing it. Yeah, Mick, go for it. No, it was just to, uh, and Alex has said a lot of what I had in mind actually, which is the behaviour of the Premier League, which has briefed. Um, certain journalists throughout this um, episode and has leaked information to them um, on a um, on a deliberate um, in a deliberate manner, I should say. So you know, they ha- it, it appears to me the more and more you think of, you look at what's been going on here, it's inescapable that the Premier League and being stroke Qatar have been in cahoots to stop this deal from going through by any means necessary. There's been a concerted PR campaign led by um, the Qataris through BN, etc., which has placed information into the public domain, which is which has got up um, Jasogi's so-called widow uh, um, to uh, to kind of make all kinds of uh, statements in the in the in the media, which haven't been extended to other sporting events that Saudi are involved in. It's been absolutely linked to um to the purchase of Newcastle United. So uh, I think the Premier League's behaviour has been outrageous. Um I think it calls into question their fitness. Alex rightly points the finger at them in terms of how they've let the um the T V rights to uh, be in stroke Qatar. And I think it would take a complete goon to imagine that when it comes to dealing with the Premier League, they have different approaches to what they have in procuring the World Cup in 2022. So uh, there's lots of questions about that. Um, we have to point the finger at them. Is the Premier League just a joke? Is it non-competitive? And what what is it about? Who is it about? What's it for? And is it just a show to get money in for a limited number of people? Um, I was going to go on about the human rights um, side of it. I know that gives a lot of very good people some understandable cause for concern. Um, let's get this on the table straight away. Human rights had absolutely fuck all to do with this, with the Premier League's actions or anybody else's. So I read something in the Guardian yesterday about Amnesty International, and, and I hope they're not claiming any credit for this deal going down because it would just render them a bit of a joke if they did. Um, this is not about human rights. Uh, none of it's ever been about human rights. Um, we wouldn't be shifting seven billion quid's worth of arms to um, Saudi Arabia, on, you know, every other year if that was the case. So let's get it on the table straight away. This is directly linked to the Premier League's relationship with Qatar and nothing else. Yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it? And in the statements and things like that. I mean, though they are legitimate concerns and 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 they are legitimate questions. There are plenty of them about um, about Saudi human rights abuses and, and all of that stuff. That's not what we're going to get into today, really. But um, that is that is not that is not why this didn't work out. Um, it's a it's a 
you know, it just does not seem to be the case. So I would agree with you there, Mick, on that on that front. Um, so with that in mind, we'll move slightly on unless Alex, you want, did you want to say something else about the process or have you said what you need to say right now? I'll add one last little bit, and I'll make, okay, I'll, make it, I'll make I'll make it quick. In Amanda Staveley's interview with with George uh, Colkin, and and when I spoke to her over the weekend as well, which we'll come on to in a bit, the 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 key thing here seems to be that at the very last minute, after all this time, the Premier League turned round and said that the, the state of Saudi Arabia would have to become a director of a UK company, um, and there were all sorts of kind of reasons out there about why that might be but that in itself after all of this time and all of the correspondence and the paperwork and the lawyers after all this time do you not think that's the first thing you'd ask for do you not think it's the first thing you'd say is like right for this deal to go through you're gonna have to be you're gonna have to like well basically and I'll, I'll put it on the table and i'm not an expert in this they're basically accusing the um pif of being liars pif have said they are not um an extension of the saudi state um, and the Premier League have turned around and said, "Well, well, you are, and, and, and we we need that assurance from you." Um, that again, and I can completely understand. And you know, I've seen a couple of emails um, about this that 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 incensed PIF, incensed them, like from a, on a number of levels. And that, in terms of what Mick was talking about earlier, in terms of transparency and what the Premier League aren't saying. That is that is an absolute key answer. Someone, and we are going to try it, the Supporters Trust, has got to get from the Premier League. Did you do it? Why did you do it? And why did it take you 17 weeks to ask the question? Because we're all just, we're all mugs here, all of us. If, if if that doesn't get answered, then, then as Mick said, who, who is the Premier League for? Because it, it's all, you know, Amanda Stavely saying that the Premier League had given them just about the go-ahead on two different occasions. Seems like a pretty important question to get off from the start for me. And for them to ask it after in week seventeen, which is pretty much from what everyone says, including Amanda Staley to George Culkin in the Athletic, um, that that's what's collapsed the deal. And I know, I know, Charlotte, you read the statement out before about um, economics and COVID nineteen, and of course those things are relevant. Well, you know, well, it's sort it's, of it's hinted at. I mean, I think that's uh, they, because they haven't specifically said that. I think that's really by the by. Yeah. Sorry, I've interrupted you. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I'll say what I want to say. Okay. Yeah. I. I mean, uh, to me, it suggests that if it's at week seventeen that that question's being asked, that this never had any. They had never had any intention. Yeah. Of exactly. Of uh, putting this through. In which case, why spend seventeen weeks putting? You know, fans who are desperate for their club to be sold and desperate for investment in the region waiting around it's just it's a very unpleasant thing to do i realize there's been project restart and all of that other stuff for the premier league but if the intention from the get-go was to sort of stall this or or stop it or you know not put it through then just do it like that mick your hand is up yeah it was just there's just one more thing from me really well two uh, <laughs> the, the the first one was we got we got this whiff of um the premier league's attitude back in may um, so you know, I just want to flag that up. We 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 had that kind of fear back in May that something was amiss uh, within the Premier League. Um, we we did know we did have that uh, doubt. And then the second thing is, which I think is probably not for this podcast, but for uh, and will be for others. But which is um, what happens next? What do we do? 
Amanda Stavely has said it's you know it's down it's you know it's, it's on us now to respond in some way. Um, I know there'll be many thousands of people listening to this who are interested in responding, and, re- and interested and interested in um, in in uh, lashing back at, at the Premier League and doing something and challenging them. Um, I think that has to be led by the supporters' trust, in my opinion. Um, but I do think it's something that we really need to rally around. We cannot let this go. You know, I don't know how it'll end. I don't know if we do anything, it'll ultimately change what the Premier League does. But we can't let it go. This is just too serious for football and it's too serious for Newcastle United to let a TV company in Qatar run the game and run our club. Can't happen. Yeah. Um, Chris, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, just on a slightly kind of different area of things, um, something that I think we've all seen over the last couple of days since Thursday has been, you know, the amped up commentary around the collapse of this deal and what it means for the club. Uh, and, you know, for obvious reasons, I'm loath to claim bias against Newcastle uh, and the fans from London-based media. However, I think something that's been really stark throughout this is that for whatever reason, and, it, you know, perhaps it kind of pulls back the, the curtain on the realities of how the media um, you know, constructs and finds its narrative, but you know, been shocking and disappointing uh, and ridiculous to kind of see how how journalists that I and I think we all respect, and I'm not going to name specific journalists, I'm not going to name specific publications, but you know, if you just take a look on social media, I'm sure you'll see plenty of them. But just seeing how many journalists are kind of ripping into, firstly, the consortium, but more pertinently and more, you know, disgustingly the fans in a kind of sneering and condescending manner, you know, that's been really stark. And I think it's something that has really kind of shocked me as, you know, someone that's not necessarily from the region and I can understand completely uh, the the feeling from large portions of the fan base in the region as to, you know, perceptions of media from London uh, being like this, but it's really starkly illustrated that those, those fears, those frustrations, those concerns are not unfounded. There is and does seem to be an anti-Newcastle bias for whatever reason. Yeah, I know Mick will agree with you there. In pro- fact, pro- yeah, yeah pro- probably not an, an anti-Newcastle United bias, um, Chris, but just an anti-Northeast bias, a sneering um, attitude towards the region mm-hmm. um, and the worst of regional class prejudice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I can go back years about this. I can go back years. It's in me blood as to as to how um, uh, how this region is perceived uh, by um, the power base in the country, which is in London and the in the southeast. Not just us. Um, uh, there are other regions in the UK that suffer from it as well. You know, Merseyside is is one of them. Um, something we share with it with them um, with uh, people from Liverpool, etc. Is how we are uh, perceived by um by the metropolitan media um, there's no doubt about it uh, and what you've just quoted chris just comes as absolutely no surprise what does come what does sometimes come as a surprise is, is that they don't even they're not even cognizant of it that it's it's so deep into their muscle memory of how they write about the northeast and the, and the people here and our and our football club uh, but at, at other football clubs as well, we've seen it about Middlesbrough, and we've seen it about Sunderland, etc. So you know we're not unique in that regard. But it, you know, in this place, Newcastle is the northeast's biggest football club. It's only Premier League club and its most um, high-profile club. Um, but um, uh, yeah, 
yeah, the, the media need to check themselves on and they need to um the they need to evaluate themselves, you know. So I hear people saying, Oh, you've had a you've had a lucky escape, etc. Don't patronize me. You know, don't don't patronize us. You know, we're we're clever enough people to understand what we're what's going on at, at, uh, in in the world and, and and all the rest of it. Um it's insulting but it's commonplace, but we shouldn't get used to it. Yeah, it is. It's a sad truth. Um, Alex, you hinted there, we talked a little bit about Amanda Stavely's interview in The Athletic, and you talked a little bit about the fact that you have spoken to her. Do you want to go into that now? Yeah, happy to. And um, my phone calls with her this weekend were from a a supporters' trust perspective um, in her excellent interview with uh, George Cogham, which was in The Athletic. She hinted, in fact, she came out and said that it's kind of over to the Newcastle fans to get our point of view across to the Premier League and everyone listening to this I'm sure will have seen the outrage flow on social media towards Richard Masters in particular the Premier League and I think that that's um, that would have been there without um, Amanda saying that so I thought you know as the kind of only I'll say it, the only legitimate fan organisation in terms of trying to represent a large body of fans and communicate on behalf of members that the trust is it was worth me getting in touch, and that was that was facilitated. Um, and she was absolutely great. I was on the phone for quite a while, and we, we talked through a lot of the things we've talked through in this podcast. From her point of view and from the buyer's point of view, it's it's heartbreaking, it's devastating. They've put months and months and months, if not more than that, of time and money into this. It's not a, you know, I'm sure it's not a, a simple thing to to do. And just just kind of what we've been saying that like they just they don't understand, they don't like they as the buyers it's quite disconcerting actually for us as fans that if they're in the dark you know if the Premier League won't won't even speak to them properly how you know what chance have we got of getting answers but you know at the trust we'll have a a relationship with the Premier League through the FSA which is really beneficial in fact earlier this summer when there was no news at all from Newcastle United about season ticket refunds and other ticket refunds despite all other 19 clubs having communicated with the supporters we raised that with the Premier League and it was sorted within 24 hours um, with the club and then someone at Newcastle United rang me and thanked me for getting the Premier League on board because I think if, if we hadn't <laughs> we still probably wouldn't have heard nothing um, about refunds such as the state of what's going on up there um, so that, that relationship is there and there are meetings planned but what we're going to do with the trust is we're going to try and use that relationship and we're going to try and get those answers like for the buyers, for the supporters, and, and, and try and, you know, I don't want to give anyone false hope far from it. You know, this isn't something that we we can influence in terms of getting the deal done or getting all that stuff. We should be able to because it should be that, you know, fans should have a say in who owns their football club, but we don't. Um, and like I said to members over the weekend, the, this the Premier League wouldn't exist without us, wouldn't be a thing, wouldn't make any money without us. Um and the takeover wouldn't be happening without us. And, and Amanda Staveley, and she was clear to me on the phone, she was just like, was blown away by the support, by the feeling of the, the people of this this region and this football club towards her in a consortium. And like they really get the warmth, I think, from us for this takeover. And like, you know, she she was just kind of, you know, she, she made a great point. And I, I think George made this in his piece as well and I've said it earlier, that you've got a willing buyer, you've got a willing seller, you've got a willing fan base. If you look at the history of Premier League takeovers, those three things often don't appear. 
Now, if you look at the Premier League now, the vast majority of clubs who have changed hands in the last 10 years have changed hands outside of the league and been promoted, which is now starting to look like, you know, relegation's not starting to look so bad, is it? If, mm-hmm. if you can actually get a new owner. But I could, I've probably got to go back to the Liverpool takeover um, back in 2009, 10, um, when there was this kind of feeling and this kind of positivity and desperation around the takeover. The rest, the rest of them, have, there's been... You know, for example, Southampton's takeover. It took months and months and months, and 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 the structure of the deal had to be changed. But it was changed, and it did happen. So, can we try and get some answers from the Premier League as a trust that could help the buyers? I don't know. I, I would hate to put a, an, you know, in fact, I'd say it's highly unlikely. I'd hate to try and give anyone false hope. But we're going to try. And as a as a support, you know, when when Amanda Stavely speaks to Georgia, when she spoke to me yesterday. You know, the support is one thing. It's this one big, huge, passionate um, body of people that can achieve things. And if you think, why are we famous? Why are we a famous football club? It's because at our best, we make more noise than anyone else. We're more passionate than anyone else. We're more loyal than anyone else. And when you go to an away game or you stand in the corner on the Gallagher and you support the team, that kind of combined voice that we have is louder than any other club. Yet... I've talked about this for years, yet as a like almost online support or a support away from games, we're continually fragmented and disunited and anything to do with supporter engagement is just beset by abuse and mistrust for some good reasons, you know, for some good reasons at times. Like this is this is the time, this is the chance, you know, like one of the buyers, the key buyer probably is is saying to us um, can can you go to the Premier League and try and get some answers? Can you make the Premier League see sense? And and, and I, I, my answer to her was, all we can do is try, and we will try, and we'll do everything we possibly can. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to actually get our heads together. So so we'll, ha- we'll have to channel that effort and that energy into doing stuff together. If we don't, we'll, just like the last 13 years, we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get anywhere. The reason that Amanda Stavely, I'd like to think, apart from some recommendations from some good people, to speak to me, and it's not it's nothing to do with me, by the way, as a person, it's the trust as a whole. The reason she's, she's, she's up for speaking to the trust is because we'll have 10,000 plus members. Now, if she's willing to speak to the trust and we've got 10,000 members, how are the Premier League going to feel dealing with a trust that has 100,000 members? So, like, this is the time. I'm not going to say too much more on it. This is the time. If we can't get ourselves together here, if the attempt to get answers from the Premier League is full of infighting and bickering online and accusations, it's just, it's just not going to happen. We're playing into the Premier League hands. Yeah. We've got to get together under the trust banner because there's no one else. There's not. You know, you can come at me. You can tell me who you think's better or whatever. There is no one else who can do this right now. There is no one else out there who has a relationship with the Premier League like the trust do through the Football Supporters Association. It doesn't exist. And if you don't like the idea of it or you don't think it's for you, that's fine. Park that for a week or a month and think, you know what, I'm going to put whatever effort I've got. And, you know, you've got people that are doing their best. They want to feel involved. They're sending mean tweets. They're spamming people's inboxes. Yet it, it makes you feel good and it makes you feel like you're doing something. And it, and it is doing something. But it's not going to get, get us the answers that we actually need and crave. We're going to have to be methodical. We're going to have to be professional. We're going to have to do it properly. And time time is against us. Time is ticking. The longer this goes on, the less relevant it becomes. You know, teams start playing preseason friendlies. Attention turns to transfers and signings, 
and then we'll get back to the awful monotony and mundane existence under Mike Ashley. When I spoke to Amanda, one of the things she wanted to make really clear um, is that that Mike Ashley is still massively in favour of this takeover, and according to her, is only going to sell the club to her. There isn't anyone else. I don't even want to get into, you know, that's not my argument, that's not my discussion, what other buyers, I'm not interested for the minute. I'm not trying to pick sides here on that. I'm just trying to say that, th- like, this takeover, according to her, it isn't dead. It's it's on life support. That's my quote, not hers. It's, you know, it, the PIF have pulled out, but, but everything is still in place to get this deal done. And even if we can't make a difference, let's try. Let's try and do something. Let's try and get some answers from the Premier League. Let's try and get them to engage with us. Uh, might not happen, but but I'm up for it, and I hope everyone listening is as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes, here, yeah, here. Yeah. Well, I feel like I should almost applaud. Yeah, I, I was going to talk a little bit about the, um, the sort of divisiveness of Twitter, sort of in its nature and how it seems to, but I think your sort of call to called for unity there is, is really sort of sums up uh, what, what I was going to say probably more succinctly than I would have said it anyway um Mick is there anything that you wanted to add Chris is there anything that you wanted to add I'm conscious that we're now 45 minutes in and I think we've got to where we were hoping to get to I might be wrong I think uh, Alexa said it quite eloquently there which is just let's not take this lying down mm-hmm. let's let you know get behind the trust join the trust and let's do things together I, I mean I, I I don't think it's it's beyond us to pull in the leader, the city council, the various MPs in the region, and they need to rep- step up and represent the people who elect them. And Newcastle United is very close to most people's hearts in this in this area. Um, it needs to be a coherent campaign. Whether or not there is a um, uh, whether or not there is a, a, a public inquiry or a, the people in the Premier League are pulled in front of the select committee in the Commons. I don't. I couldn't comment. Um, I think they should be. I, I really do. Um, for them to behave in this way, this goes beyond sport. Uh, it goes. It 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 goes into the regeneration and support for a for a sadly neglected part of the country. Um, but me. Bo- bottom line is, jo- if you're not in the trust already, join the trust. Let's stick together. Let's let's stop this bullshit on social media. Let's stick together and get behind each other and like, and give these bastards a bloody nose, if nothing else. <laughs> we don't advocate violence on this podcast, Mick. Um, <laughs> Chris, is there anything that you wanted to um, add to that? Uh, just as a reminder on specifics, I think uh, yearly membership of the Trust is a pound, isn't it, Alex? That's correct. Yeah, okay. just a, just a plug for that, and it's it's easy to join. Uh, and I'm a member of all members, obviously Alex is. Um, but yeah, just to, <laughs> to echo that, just do join. Uh, it's really important. Uh, you know, now more than ever. Yeah, yeah, I um, I totally echo what Alex says. Park park whatever reservations you had before about other stuff. This is this is our real opportunity here to engage with the Premier League, and uh, and I think we do deserve answers. So without further ado, I will wrap us up there. Thank you so much, Mick, Chris, and Alex for joining me on this Sunday afternoon. Um, we are on Twitter at TFNUFC. Do chat with us. Let us know your thoughts. We are always open to all of that. And, uh, and we'll be back. Thanks so much for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.